Um, a boy fell off of a 100-foot-tall ladder, but was unharmed. How? What, how, Henry? He was on the bottom rung. Right. Right. A, uh, a hiker went without sleep for seven days, but he wasn't tired at all. Why not? Slept at night. Oh, you guys are too quick. You, and now, now, if you know this one, don't, don't answer it because, uh, because it's, it's become fairly famous now because it was used in a uh, Boston University study. But, uh, but a father and son were in a car accident. Tragically, father was killed and the son had to be rushed for emergency surgery. When they got uh, to the surgery ward, uh, the surgeon was just getting ready to begin surgery and all of a sudden he paused and said, I, I can't operate, this is my son. How is that possible? Just take a moment and think about that. How many of you are still thinking? A few of you? It's possible because the surgeon was the young man's mother. We make assumptions, don't we? And a Boston University study of 200 psychology students more than half a female, only 15% when this original question was posed, came up with the idea that the surgeon could be a woman, <laughs> which is rough, right? It's like, ooh, we got some, we got some growth to do. Uh, but, but it points out the fact that we make assumptions about all these things, just like all these little riddles, right? We have, we have things in our head and we picture something and we make assumptions and we fill in the gaps without all the information, right? So we just assume that because the ladder's tall, the kid's at the top. And, and so it sounds funny to, to hear something different. And, and we have to reorient ourselves and say, oh yeah, I'm looking at this thing kind of, I, I, I put this there, but I, did, I, I read more into it than there was, or there was, there was information missing that I just kind of gloss over. Um, so so we, we make assumptions and we fill in the gaps often in our lives with our, our own stories and details. Uh, and that last reminder is, or that last example is, uh, helps, helps to remind us that not only do we make assumptions, but we have all sorts of biases that lead us to those assumptions. All sorts. We are each biased in our own ways because of all sorts of, of things. Even if we think we ought to know better, often we still fall into assumptions um, that, are, that are based on all of these different experiences that we have. So what does this have to do with spiritual formation over the next month? Um, the entire story of Jesus is the story of God changing and challenging assumptions. All right? The story of God. God lives up on a mountain. Right? God is untouchable. God is a raging fire of anger and righteous judgment. God is unknowable. These are all images that, that had been inherited by the people of God in many ways. And Jesus came and he blew a whole bunch of those ideas out of the water. People assumed that God was a certain way and Jesus said, ah, we talked about this last week just a little bit. You've, you've heard this or you've assumed this and some of that was actual scripture and some of it was what they assumed as a result of that where they had taken it in their own direction and twisted it a little bit. He says, but I'm going to tell you something new. And so, so Jesus reveals God in such a way that often challenges our assumptions. I would not say often. I would say always. Always, often, never, right? Between those two choices. I'd say Jesus always, if we walk with him, 
challenges our assumptions. And he challenges the assumptions of the world as well. Um, you know, like I said, we've all inherited uh, life and faith assumptions based on our own unique backstory. Sometimes, specifically in our location here, I don't mean at Aspira, I mean at this time and place in history, um, we uh, were more shaped by like the Industrial Revolution thinking than we are by historic Christianity. Um, we're often shaped more by, uh, many of us at least, by white American understandings of religion and church and Jesus than we are by the biblical account of a Jewish Messiah that never spoke English, um, non-white, poor, uh, powerless, who, uh, who died at the intersection of state and religious sanctioned violence. This is a, this is a story that we are unfamiliar with often. And, uh, and so, so this Jesus, he came to change the world, but to do so in none of the expected ways, right? He surprised rich and poor people. He surprised the religiously devout and the overt sinners out there. He didn't play by any of the normal rules. And so when we talk about third way thinking, which is a phrase, that, it's a phrase that's often used in, in some of the theological circles that I spend time in, but to talk about Jesus' third way means that Jesus does not live on the binaries of our, of our thinking frequently. Uh, you know, instead of fight or flight, Jesus gives us a unique way of, of nonviolent engagement in the world. Jesus says, I'm not going to run from you and I'm not going to fight you. I'll actually absorb your violence and not send it back out into the world. I will forgive. I will end the cycle. And Jesus does this in all sorts of ways, right? Judgment. You see it with the, um, the um, adulterous woman, right, being stoned. Instead of Jesus saying, no, this is no big deal, or instead of Jesus saying, yes, stone her, Jesus says, hold on. And he, he, he challenges people to search their own hearts because of their own unique ways of, of casting judgment, then speaks both grace and challenge to the woman. That's not the scripture for today. That's just a freebie. So the, the ideas of Jesus doing something that is a third way beyond what we often assume. This is central to our spiritual formation, okay? Because often we can only think in the boxes that we're given in our world. And usually, that's a linear thing. And so Jesus doesn't just sit in the middle. Jesus doesn't play by the, by the line at all, okay? The kingdom of God is not of this world. That doesn't mean it's disembodied. It means it doesn't play by the same rules that our world plays by. Okay, and it's really important that we understand this so that we can say, okay, so what is Jesus doing that challenges the assumptions of the time then, scripturally, or that challenges our assumptions right now um, in all sorts of, of different ways? So that's what we mean by, by third ways. And once we, we understand the third way that Jesus came to bring, a renewal and a restoration of all things, right? The spirit, the soul, the world, everything, then, then we begin to realize that the story is bigger and more wonderful than we often assume. Um, and, and that's why we can't just look and say, well, Jesus challenges things out there for the world. We have to look inward and say, we're part of the world that Jesus came to, to challenge the assumptions of. Um, and so, so to us, Jesus challenges these assumptions, sometimes about God's character, sometimes about God's priorities, sometimes about the way God's wor God works and his kingdom. Um, and so it happens all throughout Jesus' ministry. In Luke 4, uh, this is a very famous passage. We've talked about it a lot. We're just going to bounce off of a couple things this morning because we're going to end with some significant time for dialogue. But at the beginning of Jesus' ministry, according to Luke, um, Jesus comes and, uh, and he is given a scroll. He's a rabbi at this point. Regular uh, practice was that there were, there, were, there were set readings for each day. 
And, uh, and so Jesus didn't choose this scripture. It's from uh, Isaiah 61. He opens the scroll in front of everybody, and he reads this, this message. The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight to the blind, to set the oppressed free, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. All right, this is happening in Nazareth, his hometown. So Jesus is at the center of, like, his people. And, and, and the people around the town are looking and saying, he's one of us. He's our guy. And they love what he says because he closes the scroll and he says, this has been fulfilled in your hearing, which is a messianic claim. So in other words, Jesus is saying that, that Isaiah image that, that was given, that's, that's actually what I'm coming to do. And so people would have heard this and they get very excited about it afterwards. They're, they're, they're thrilled about it. They said, this is, this is great. Um, let's see. All who spoke, uh, all spoke well of him, and they were amazed at the gracious words that came out of his lips, we're told. And then Jesus, oh, there's two things that you should know. Number one, the messianic claim was very focused on the people being um, set free from political domination. So the idea that a Messiah would come was linked to the fact that then we would be liberated so that uh, we would get out of Rome's, being under Rome's thumb, okay? So that was really linked to it. So it was often thought of as a violent revolutionary or some sort of a revolution. So that's important. Secondly, it was all about the Jewish people. Thirdly, when Jesus opens the scroll, if you read Isaiah 61, you'll see, and we've talked about this a lot, but some of you are rather new here, and you need to hear this because it's very important. You will see that the quote, which is a pretty direct quote from Isaiah 61, Jesus stops this quote before the final line of Isaiah 61. And the final line of Isaiah 61 is um, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of wrath from the Lord. (laughs) The Lord's judgment on all of the enemies. And so Jesus leaves that line out and says, I've proclaimed, I've come to do all of these things, um, but I'm not going to read. Now, maybe that's just what the reading was for the day, but it seems weird because the paragraph ends after that line. In, in Hebrew. So anyways, Jesus seems to intentionally omit this. All right, so, so this is what happens. And everybody's amazed, but Jesus sees that they don't quite get it. So then he, he makes this statement and he says, you know, I'm in my hometown. Surely, surely you're going to try to kind of prop, prop me up and, and make me and, and tell me that you want me to do all the miracles that you've heard about and everything like that. So Jesus sees that they are excited about a Messiah that will specifically benefit them. And so Jesus is actually the one that introduces a new idea. They're excited at first, all right? And he says, um, surely you'll say, do here in your hometown what we've heard that you've been doing in Capernaum. Truly I tell you, he continued, that no prophet's accepted in his hometown. And here's where he does the thing that challenges the assumptions so much. I assure you that there were many widows in Israel in Elijah's time when the sky was shut for three and a half years and there was a severe famine throughout the land. Yet Elijah was not sent to any of them, but a widow in Zarephath in the region of Sidon. That's, that's one. And then he gives a second example. And there were many in Israel with leprosy in the time of Elisha, the prophet, yet not one of them was cleansed, only Naaman the Syrian. So he reads this statement. God is coming. The Spirit of the Lord is here. There's going to be good news proclaimed. The, the year of the Lord's favor. And then he says, oh, by the way, let me give you an example of what this is going to look like on a large scale. And he lists two people from the Old Testament witness, both of who are outside of Israel. 
and all of a sudden the crowd changes. They're not so thrilled about Jesus being their hometown hero anymore. In fact, it gets rather dark. All the people in the synagogue were furious. They got up, drove him out of town, and took him to the brow of the hill where the town was built to throw him off the cliff. So it's a bit of a, it's a, bit of a quick change here. Because what they interpreted Jesus saying was, listen, you are very excited about all of this is for you, but I'm telling you, it's bigger than you. It's broader than you, and it's not going to look exactly like you think. That was very hard for people to grasp. Okay, it says, I love verse 30, though, but then he walked through the crowd and went on his way. <laughs> we just get these, I'm not even going to talk about that, but we just get these little, little, these little like, drops through the, the Gospels where you're just like, wait, I want to know more about that. Jesus just, so everybody's about to kill him, or, or wants to, but it's not the right time yet. So, like, he just walks through the crowd and went on his way. Like, were they, did he literally walk through people? Did he disappear? Did people, were they not, like, physically able to lift up their hands? I don't know. I'd love to know this information, because it's, it's treated so, like, matter-of-factly, you know? They were going to throw him off the cliff, but he walked right through the crowd and went on his way. And then, like, the, the story just goes on. Ah, <sighs> one day. One day, friends, we'll figure this all out. It'll be delightful. Okay, so the, the idea here is um, Jesus is talking to his people, and he says, you are convinced that you're at the center, the special recipients, but God's up to something bigger, and it's going to challenge you. They're assuming that he has their priorities, their preferences, and their goals in mind, right? And we are often very guilty of the same. We need to acknowledge this. We tend to imagine, just like the crowd, that Jesus thinks exactly like we do. All right, that Jesus is the kind of savior that, that makes sense to us and does kind of what we want, right? Um, that's one of the reasons I think that Jesus, by the way, tells us to pray for God's will to come. Because if we don't actually spend time praying for God's will, we will just decide that our will and God's will are kind of the same. Like, I have a good heart, so God wants the same things that I do. But he says, no, 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 pray for God's will so that you can discern it, so that you can see it, so that you can be reminded that it's often different than what we want uh, or what we assume. Uh, so we kind of look to Jesus as, I don't know, like a, uh, like, oh boy. I don't know how to do like those. Yeah, that's pretty good, right? The, like the, the Facebook thumbs up? Yeah, thanks. Joan saw it. Okay, so like Jesus becomes like our rubber stamping savior, right? We look and we say, yeah, Jesus, you should, you should feel this way about things, right? Right, okay, thanks. And so, so Jesus kind of rubber stamps, instead of us with an open mind saying, Jesus, what are your priorities? Looking in deeply to the scriptures and the character of God that we see. Um, but this won't bring growth. Trying to turn Jesus into a rubber stamping savior will not bring growth in our lives. Um, what will bring growth is when we offer up our assumptions to the real Jesus and we are willing to hold things with an open hand, which often means that we are willing to lose something. Um, we have to let Jesus reorient our lives over and over and over again. And uh, stay with me here, and I'll, I'll connect the dots. Have you ever noticed that people who exhibit the lives that reflect Jesus the most often are people who have experienced tremendous loss in their lives? And maybe that's a loss of, maybe that's a physical loss, right? They've actually gone through some sort of a tragedy. They've lost someone close to them. They've lost their health. They've lost um, something else. But it, it's often other types of losses too. Losses of, of assumptions that they once had. And that's because all loss is a loss of assumption. 
When we lose something in our lives and we feel that, we realize that life is not like what we thought it was going to be, right? Like, I thought this person was always going to be here. I thought I would always have a job. Um, you know, I thought that, that if I raised kids the right way, they wouldn't ever, like, have any problems. You, what, whatever the case might be. I thought if I went to college, I'd be able to get a job in my field. That's what everyone told me. You know, like these are, so, so all of a sudden, when we have to face the fact that the world isn't, or, or I thought God was going to heal that person because don't the scriptures say that if you pray for something, God hears you and heals, and how could God not want to do that? And it becomes very confusing and very, whew, when we lose something and our assumptions are challenged, all of a sudden, we have to look and say, all right, what is real and true, and what does it mean to trust God in this? And immediately, even asking that question brings growth in us. Even asking that question, because can we be honest, friends? There aren't always solutions. There aren't always answers this side of eternity that we can get. But asking the question leads us to a deeper space of formation in Jesus. So losing requires us to acknowledge the assumptions that we make so that we can find and seek truth. The more we live, the more we realize that many assumptions that we make when we are younger don't always hold up right? Um, we're taught that if we eat our vegetables, we'll be all healthy. But some of you have eaten a lot of vegetables, and you still have health issues that you have to deal with, right? Like little things where you're like, well, this is more complicated than they told me when I was four. <laughs> Think about marriage. So many times, um, the, the person that, that we, we marry, we make assumptions about if we get married, specifically when you're, when you're younger, but I think anytime, you know, and then um, it's not that you don't know them, but you don't know them in the same way, you know, that, that you get to know them, and you realize, wow, I made a lot of assumptions about kind of what the roles would be in our family, or about what you're like, or about how you'll handle these things and this thing, you know, I mean, Bethany and I have been together for 20 years, and she still surprises me, she still surprises me, sometimes in delightful ways, sometimes in frustrating ways. And I, I, I have a feeling it's probably the same the other way around, but maybe mine might be weighted more in the frustrating um, ways for her. But, uh, but I, it's just so interesting. If our assumptions about life are being challenged as we live more and more, we can either dig in or we can hold it openly, trusting that God will reveal more of God's self to us through all of these experiences, more of what's true, more of what's real. Um, so uh, it does often mean letting go of things that we've held on to for a long time. And that can feel really destabilizing, friends. Letting go of something you've held on to for a while can feel really destabilizing. It did for the Jewish people when they realized that Jesus was not going to meet their, their messianic expectations. It did for Paul when he realized that his religious zeal for God had actually done great damage and harm to other people, and was working against God's movement in Jesus back when he was a terrorist, before he became the most effective missionary in the world. Let's uh, never write anyone off because of that. Um, but in the end, what is the result of losing wrong ways of seeing God? For those that look to Jesus, it's experiencing a kingdom that exploded with life and beauty and goodness. So having our assumptions challenged is not all disappointment, but it is destabilizing. In, uh, in Matthew 19, uh, this, there's the story of the rich young ruler, which many of you are familiar with, but a guy comes up to Jesus and says, what should I do to inherit eternal life? And he knows the answers that Jesus is going to give him, because he's done a really good job of following all the laws. And he says, I've done it all. You know, he, this, it's a setup, kind of. It's not fully a setup, because he does, he does genuinely ask, but at the same time, he has all of these assumptions. He's wealthy, 
he has, he has followed, especially the ones that are personal to him, he's followed all of the commandments that are very unique and personal to him. I honor my parents. I do this and that, you know, the things that, that don't require that much maybe always. And so, um, so the, the guy asks Jesus, he says, what do I still lack? Because he can tell that the conversation isn't quite over. And Jesus says, if you want to be perfect, go sell what you have and give it to the poor. And that word perfect, there's no Jewish concept for perfect, so we, we do that as our best translation, but the word is about completeness. If you want to be complete, fully consistent, that's what the etymology of the word is there. Um, so go sell what you have, give to the poor, and you'll have treasure in heaven and come and follow me. All right? So what he says to this guy, this guy assumes that he can follow Jesus by following the personal rules and maintaining his comfort. But Jesus says, oh, you're making this assumption that it's all about kind of you and your holiness, like your purity, but it's not. There's these things in your heart that, that are completely being missed out on about your call to love your neighbors that you're not doing very well. So he challenges his assumption, and that's unfortunate for him because he can't part with it. But here's the interesting thing. Then he goes away, and the disciples are freaking out. And the disciples are freaking out because they have inherited the assumption that rich people are blessed by God more. And so if someone is wealthy, then they are in God's top tier of value. And so they start freaking out by saying, because Jesus makes this statement and says, it's really hard for rich people to experience the kingdom because they have these barriers of this God-like money. And, and they start freaking out and they say, well, who then can be saved? They ask him. Like, what's, what's going on? Their entire worldview is being challenged here. And even though it's eventually going to be good news, it's destabilizing at the moment because they've been thinking that, you know, eventually God will bless me financially or with stuff, and that will show that I've been growing and maturing. And Jesus says, no, 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 you got it all wrong. You're missing, you're missing the values of the kingdom. And so, by the way, um, oh yeah, so this is when he says, you know, it's hard for a rich man to enter. And they ask the question, who then can be saved? And Jesus looked at them and said, hey, with men, this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. Because he uses that camel through the eye of the needle. So he says, don't worry, God's grace is still sufficient, even for the rich folks. But it's a challenging of assumptions. And, and let me just say real quick um, that this isn't just a metaphor, that little story. That is still directly relevant to us. I try not to be unnecessarily critical of church culture, but if you look around at church boards locally in the United States, you will see that they are primarily full of very wealthy business people who have a lot of resources. And we have to ask the question, why in the leadership of the churches across the country, why are there no poor folks? It's because we still think that God values people with money more than God values. We, we want to have compassion on those other people, but not give influence, not, not suggest that someone who's been poor most of their life has immense wisdom and spiritual maturity and can help grow the kingdom, but that's the message that Jesus gives us. So we have to not just look at the, like, this as a metaphor that, yes, Jesus challenges our assumptions and say, let's actually look at the assumptions themselves and make sure that we're not falling prey into the same attitudes and ideas, such as poorer people are second rate and less able to build God's kingdom. Um, so what's revolutionary? So, so this is what's so revolutionary and thrilling about Christianity. It turns these assumptions on, upside down and it challenges kind of our, our notions of uh, who's in and who is out. 
of who's important, of what power really looks like. It challenges the assumptions of this life and the next and the assumptions people make about it and about the very nature and character of the God of the universe. It's so beautiful to see Jesus himself as God. So in short, there's a learning curve for us as we get to know God. And it's important that we should probably acknowledge that. And that learning curve is going to be, guess what, the length of your life, no matter how long you live. So ultimately, here's where we're heading for the next, the next few weeks, all right, as we look into Advent. We're going to be looking at four different assumptions that Jesus challenged, all right? And we're going to offer a new way, or we're going to let Jesus and, and the, the stories offer us a new way of looking at things beyond our assumed options. So we'll look at the assumptions of faith either being about society change or about personal salvation, one or the other. We're going to look at the assumptions uh, that, or, or how Jesus changed views of certainty and knowledge and the assumptions that we make about knowledge and faith. And um, We're going to look at views of power and how power is used and the assumptions Jesus challenged. We're going to look at leadership and influence and who is deserving of it in the kingdom of God. And we'll use the gospel stories that are surrounding Jesus' birth uh, to frame as our framework for noticing the, uh, these upside-down values of the kingdom of God. So, I mean, we, and as we look at the Christmas story, it's funny. Um, I was talking with a, a couple of you about this. We make incorrect little assumptions about the Christmas story all the time. It doesn't take too much work to realize that, you know, the, the biblical story doesn't talk about three wise men, right? There's probably more, um, but there were just, just three. There were just three gifts, and so it's turned into a story. Now, that's harmless. It's not a big deal. I don't, I don't care, particularly. You know, um, Jesus was not born in, um, in like a, a, a farm, like a, what's it called? Stable, yeah. The word stable never appears in the story. Um, Jesus was born in, um, in a manger, but a manger was built into the front area of a house where the livestock would come and help keep the family warm. So, so just, again... Moderately harmless, but we make assumptions about things, and this is just examples about as we, as we look more deeply into it, what new assumptions might Jesus be challenging in our own lives um, as, as we go? So uh, when we get into assumptions about like what God's, val- what God's values are or what God's character is like, that's when they become really, really, really crucial. That's when we have to be willing to lose ideas maybe that we've held on to a long time in order to pursue Jesus in a fresh way. Um, so we go back to Jesus over and over again, and we let his kingdom shape us. It's really, really hopeful, but it feels a little terrifying, friends. Um, often, when things that we've assumed for a long time begin to change or are challenged, then it can feel disorienting, and that's okay. But the end result does not need to be a crisis of faith in our lives, uh, as many of you have journeyed through. Many of you grew up, and, and parts of, your, of um, your faith traditions, they kind of were very disorienting, and you kind of, uh, they kind of broke down, but you realize that wasn't the end, and, and what you've experienced of God and rebuilt has been very beautiful and, um, and more honest and, and true, and so there's, there's beauty in that. Uh, the end result is a faith that is at peace, being completely centered on Jesus, not always having every little detail figured out, um, and, uh, and a faith that is founded not just on the person of Jesus, but on what Jesus talked about, about the values of the kingdom. So, uh, we will embrace this third way, right? A way that doesn't look like fight or flight. A way that doesn't just look like right or left. Or love the good people and hate the bad people. Or you're in and you're out, right? So Jesus is going to change all that. Um, 
Big idea for today. Our experience of God's kingdom grows when we let Jesus challenge our assumptions. Basic. All right? Our experience of God's kingdom grows when we let Jesus challenge the assumptions that we walk around with about life, about the world, and even about God himself. All right. So, let's chat a little bit. Because to get there, we've got to be willing to lose. So I will leave you, before we have a bit of dialogue, I will leave you with this statement from Paul in 1 Corinthians 2.2 about the way, about his own assumptions being shattered and his ability to trust Jesus. He says, For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. The self-giving love of God laid bare. Paul says, that's, that's what I want. And we'll start there and go from there. All right. Jesus, help us um, to just hold with an open hand, not you or your love or uh, any of our central elements, but kind of the little things, Lord. Uh, just, I guess, just help us to be teachable. Help us to be willing to be different today than we were yesterday because of you.